0: Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Day Beautify podcast, the premier e commerce podcast brought to you by Day Beautify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Jess Chan, the founder and CEO of two different e commerce companies, Longplay and Backbone. Longplay is a full service retention and lifecycle marketing agency for DTC e commerce brands that specializes in email marketing, while Backbone is the first email strategy automation tool for DTC e commerce brands to automate their email calendar planning, promotion and product launch planning, flow recommendations, and email layout creation. On this episode, Jess and I discuss ideas versus execution, generating productive email flows, retention strategies, and much more. Here's our interview now. Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks
1: for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. We're very happy to have you. So first things first, why don't you tell me a little bit about your company, Longplay?
1: Yeah, so Longplay is a full-service retention and lifecycle marketing agency for D2C e-com brands. And all that means is we specialize in doing email, SMS, direct mail, but also overall retention strategies, customer lifecycle strategies for D2C e-com brands. So we work with brands anywhere from zero to zero to 500 million in annual revenue and every kind of industry and product under the sun that you could possibly imagine. And we we actually got our start in email, but now we um, brought it out to, to all the retention channels because that's direct mail, things like that. And there's a ton of opportunities for e-commerce brands these days.
0: Cool. Well, we'll definitely dive into the email side of things a little later in the show. Can you give me a general overview of some of the services that Longplay provides or can provide to its clients? Yeah, for sure.
1: So most of our clients come in for full service email marketing. So really we e com brands come in. Um, typically, they have some baseline level of email marketing done, or else they you typically start off with Backbone, which is our email strategy automation tool. But they come in, uh, we handle all of their email marketing for them. So strategy development, copywriting, design, execution, analytics, testing—literally taking the entire channel off of their plate. What makes it a little bit different than most email agencies is that we actually have a broader focus on increasing customer lifetime value and helping you build a scalable, sustainable, profitable email channel for your business overall. So we're really looking at how email, SMS, direct mail can help a DTC convert hit their business goals, whether it's repurchase rate, cross-selling more products, introducing customers to new products, things like that. We also do full-service SMS management, direct mail management. We have a lot of clients who come in without SMS or direct mail, and they're kind of testing that program for the first time. So we'll do the setup, do the beta test with them, see if that's even a channel that makes sense for them from an ROI standpoint. And then we also do a lot of consulting around overall retention strategies, such as building a referral program, loyalty program, how to increase your customer lifetime value. We also do some kind of more one-off projects, such as like an email program audit and strategy development and things like that for, for teams that have that in-house team that can execute on it. They just need a little bit more strategic direction.
0: Instead of kind of taking the reins on the full large-scale retention of an entire company, y'all also have the capability to just do one-offs is what I'm hearing you say.
1: Yeah, exactly. When teams have that in-house team that can execute, they just need a direction, Um, then those one-off projects are perfect because we kind of are that catalyst to point them in the right direction.
0: Sure, I think that's smart. So according to your website, longplaybrands.com, the way in which you provide, you know, this multitude of services. And again, these are these are like microservices for a longer play in retention. And um, they're segmented into kind of three categories of strategy, creative, and operations. So to break it down step by step, we'll, we can start with strategy. What are some of the factors and variables that you look at with a client during that initial onboard meeting
1: oh, that's a great question so our onboarding process is actually probably one of the most thorough ones you'll probably get from an email agency because email is meant to be a, be a catalyst to the channel to help them grow their broader business so we typically look at things like obviously the type of industry they're in the types of products they sell but also what their current customer lifecycle map is and what where the customers are typically dropping off and this is an area or a way of looking at their customers and their business. And most most of our clients are kind of being introduced to it for the first time when they're working with us. So we'll map out your numbers, such as when a new customer comes in, you know, what's your list size, but also how many of them end up converting into a purchase or how many of them don't? How many of them stop engaging after six months with your emails? How many of them continue engaging? But also your customers who make a purchase, what percentage of them actually go on to make a second purchase? Who actually go on to make a third purchase? How many of them upgrade to a subscription? Things like that allow us to, most brands are kind of losing their customer base the most. So commonly with e-com brands, we find that e-com brands are really focused on increasing their repeat purchase rate, but they're focusing on getting customers to make three, four, five purchases, when in reality, most of their customers, they can't even get to making a second purchase. So that helps give us an idea of the hotspot strategy of where to focus our, our t- attention and resources. So that's an example of kind of the types of information we'll look at. Um, we'll look, also look at information in terms of the probability of certain products being cross sold together. So, if someone buys product A, do they? And we want to get them to make a second purchase. Is there a high, higher probability of them making a second purchase if we recommend product B, C, D, E? What does that look like? Um, so, those are again a few, few examples of like the type of like more granular business-specific data. That we'll look at when we're building a strategy, but obviously broadly, we're also looking at number of products they have, the types of products, the customers that they're speaking to, all the usual kind of marketing, marketing
0: boxes. No, that sounds intensive. How do you ensure that your, your suggestions are taken into consideration? And that, you know, you and your client are on the same page, I can imagine sometimes in that initial meeting, it, it really is trying to build chemistry, fill each other out. I mean, does that require a lot of trust in the process or are clients already generally receptive to to trying new things because that's why they walk through the door to begin with?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So our, um, our audit strategy development, which we go through before we even sign any sort of like contract or any working agreement. That that process is usually an hour and a half. These days, it's almost like a two-hour long call where we literally lay out our entire process. Here's how we operate. Here's, how, here's the numbers we look at. Here are the numbers of opportunities that we're seeing for you, your account specifically. So I think that helps build a lot of trust in how we work. We really believe in transparency We really believe in communication with our partners. Um, So there's nothing that we do that we kind of hide behind the mask of, well, these are just best practices. Like we just know better. We always try to explain every single thought process. And then during the onboarding process, we have two calls as just us asking questions, just peppering them with questions for like 90, 90 minutes. Our team is running through all their social media accounts, their Amazon reviews, all of their behind the scenes data. And then we're developing a strategy roadmap for them. All of this is still during the onboarding process. And during that strategy roadmap, that's usually a 90 to two, 90 minute to two hour call. And that's where we get to have that collaborative space. But typically by the time we get to the strategy roadmap, we've had three, four hours of calls at this point. Our team has been through all of the data. We're explaining everything that we're doing and our reasoning behind it and why we're doing it. Um, that we by that point we typically have a lot of trust with our clients. That being said, we always we're always the first ones to say, like, they're still the experts in their own business and very much needs to be collaborative. We want their expert opinion, but it's our job to bring to them an idea first. For them to kind of at least adjust or or have suggestions.
0: And then you have to have the tougher skin to be able to be okay if yeah. they're like, we're not into that. I appreciate the idea. I totally get that. So what are some of those initial suggestions that, that are made maybe more generally across the board, regardless of client or maybe any strategy that could be overlooked by a typical client? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. It's funny what you mentioned the tough skin, because we always say with our team, um, especially our strategists, that like if you're going to be in marketing, the best marketers should be itching to find out where they're wrong. Because really all of marketing is just get the info and like reiterate, reiterate. Like there's just, there's really no, the best marketers, it's it's not like billboard marketing these days where you come up with this giant campaign. There's still elements of marketing like that, but especially like, Digital marketing, where that feedback loop is so quick, the priority with any marketer should be getting to that feedback loop as quickly as possible, and just listening to the to the data rather than having this brilliant idea and like sticking to it. So, so that's a really important part of just kind of our philosophy with all this. But I say usually the feedback is more so around I say brand and messaging is usually a lot of the feedback um, or suggestions, just in terms of like their vision of where they want to take things. So typically in our strategy will present suggestions in terms of how specific set of emails, email campaigns, flows can be presented. And usually that's when they'll have different ideas in terms of like, hey, here's actually where we want our brand to be in like two, three years. What if we do this instead? That's usually a big chunk of feedback. Or sometimes when they start seeing some of the creative and strategy, they'll remember like, oh, no, our our customers really respond really well to this type of stuff. Or what if we tried this type of idea instead? Um, Or like, you know, our customers usually post these types of questions. So we should adjust the type of messaging. That kind of thing, where it's very nitty gritty, day to day, like really understanding the intimacies of how your customers interact with your brand and your products. So Those that type of information typically comes out in this like strategy development process, but it's very rarely to do with the actual like email strategy itself.
0: It's it's kind of more of that initial building the relationship more than it is kind of concocting a plan a little bit.
1: Exactly, exactly, and like. We're all human. so typically with ideas, it's like when you when you see someone's ideas that you have more ideas versus when you tell someone to sit down for ninety minutes and tell us about your customers. You're obviously going to miss miss certain things and totally. get certain
0: parts. So it's just part of that again iterative process. Awesome. So moving on to the the creative side of things, is your team more adept or capable at complementing an already established brand identity or messaging campaign or are they better at sculpting a new one? Oh, that's a great question.
1: Honestly, we have really gotten both. Typically, our clients come, come in with, I say typically as of like, you know, 75% of the time, okay. um, clients come in with a pretty pre-established brand because they're at this point, they're usually a decently sized, business but a lot of them don't even have don't have brand books or anything like that yet they they've just they just have you know their usual website and social media and things like that they've already been working off of and those types of clients our brand or our team does an amazing job at kind of evolving their brand while keeping keeping the essence of of the core of it and i'm not talking about like fonts and colors and things like that but really just around how do we present the brand and and position the brand as uniquely in, in the market that they're that they're in and like how do we speak to the customers in an intimate way that like resonates with them are we going to go really play is it going to be intimate because it's very playful a little bit sassy or is it very intimate because it feels like it's a personal letter written from like a ceo for example um so those are the ways our our team really evolves the tone and voice but also kind of the visual element of it as well and then we we get that 25 percent where they come in they're like we kind of hate everything and we're kind of just up for whatever so and and they'll just send us some info, and it's like just revamp everything you know we, we actually had a brand come in recently that was like it's been around for a few years and they're like we actually we were looking through all this stuff for inspo so we're kind of summering summarizing like okay these seem these to be your brand colors your fonts like whatever and they're like we actually hate our entire website we hate our social media we hate all of our existing emails so that was kind of a step back of like okay cool what do you like like which brands are you inspired by um and then that's kind of all what code minor rebranding exercise and those are always always really fun for our creative team obviously because they get to flex those kind of muscles as well
0: and then you got to at least put that work into the research to know what not to do so so stay away from this (laughs) in-house style at the very least
1: exactly it
0: sounds kind of like y'all are in the process of polishing and furnishing that's kind of like my my way of rationalizing it is like polishing an already in-house style but I, i think the being able to kind of split it up like that, maybe 75, 25, is that 25% of the time, your team is able to kind of like run wild a little bit and and sow their oats so then they can get back to kind of just like catering to client's in-house style. I imagine it, it prevents them from just kind of like I don't know, getting boxed in a little bit in terms of playing by someone else's rules.
1: Yeah, and then they like with all e-com brands are going to evolve over time, even the biggest ones. You know, we've worked with brands that, you know, they came at a hundred million, they became five, six hundred million dollar brands. And in that course of a few years, their brand also evolved pretty significantly. So it's just part of the process. Very rarely do we see a brand come in and they just have like everything solidified and everyone's on the same page. Of of what this looks like, I mean, I would say like we, I always struggle to use the word agency for us because for for me, like I was previously the CMO of a D2C ecom company, and Rachel Nidecker, my my and partner along the way she used to be the COO of 2 D2C ecom company. So everything that we've built has been about like if we had an in house like our dream in house email team, how would they behave? How would they work? And then you get so the, so some of these funky things where it's like, hey, why is an email agency kind of doing like these minor rebranding things? It's like, well, because If you're evolving your brand and you hadn't in-house email team, this would be part of the process. So that's kind of why there's certain areas that might seem a little bit out of scope from a typical email agency, but that's also kind of how we really partner with our clients to have those like long-term relationships where we can work with them for years because we're kind of evolving alongside them um, and and the partnership as well.
0: I think it's a great idea because it also then shows that y'all understand that process from beginning to end. and, And that's kind of you know the layout of this conversation is that if 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 y'all are understanding instead of just making something that fits your personal email campaign then it might not be as executed and i think people are going to take it a lot more seriously when it's personalized and it's already fitting and and shaping and molding their brand uh, messaging and identity i think that's really um creative so uh, how much does general aesthetic trends in in graphic design email layouts um stuff like that play a factor in developing the, the specific content for these brands or, or is every single creative decision pretty much started from a blank slate
1: uh, that's a question all of our creatives done completely from scratch uh for each client so we don't work off of like templates or anything like that because every brand is very different okay. that being said there's still best practices in terms of like basic email layouts right like you want to have a call to action in the header and you want the email to be a certain length and if you're going to do a product section like there should be a certain little descriptions probably so and we use what we call kind of email layouts or wireframes um and that was kind of actually the foundation of, of backbone with the software tool um as well is having these email layouts to give kind of like a website wireframe which like gives you that like optimized structure of the email um that makes sure it's gonna it's gonna actually perform from a clicks and conversion standpoint but then from a creative standpoint it should be from scratch because every brand is a little bit different um so that's kind of our approach too doing all the creative, but we don't really, there aren't really like email design trends or anything like that these days, it's more the technical trends to kind of keep up with and technical changes, but but besides that, it's all from scratch.
0: No, it's good to know. Moving on to the final operations side of things, part of your business model seems to be extremely data-driven in terms of execution, I think is how y'all call it. What are some of the goals and metrics that you're looking specifically at to determine success with the client? I know this is kind of bringing in the strategy part where you're sitting down with them saying, you know, this is what you want, this is what you need, or that sort of thing. So w- what are those specific metrics you look at?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, from an email reporting standpoint, obviously, we have the usual like open like, conversion rate, average order value, dollar per recipient, things like that. Um, I'd say what we do a little bit differently is not necessarily just the KPIs that we look at, um, but also how we look at them. So our focus when we look at data is always around this principle of actionable reporting. And all that means is like you don't want to you don't want an agency or a team that just sits down with a client, it's like, hey, we had a 30.25% open rate today and this email generated, you know, 3.2 K. It's like if I give you that information, is that good? Is that bad? I have no idea because it really depends on the context of the exactly. business, how last week went, how right? All that information. So for us, every time we do reporting, it's always contextual, which is Typically comparative data. So for example, we'll track the six-month rolling average of every single KPI that a business has uh, in, in email. So we might say, on average, a campaign generates $12,756. Was the was this most recent campaign below or above that six-month average? That's a lot more interesting and useful data than just the actual dollar amount. So we look at a lot of like, was this 10% higher? Is it 10% lower? Are we trending up? Are we trending down? And then from there, if we're trending up or down, how how does this information affect the next month's strategy that we want to build? Do we need how do we do more of the campaigns that are working? How do we launch A B tests on the ones that weren't performing as well? Um, how do we identify which email flows we need to optimize based off of like what's trending up, what's trending down? So those two principles of actionable reporting, but also kind of comparative and trend analysis. Those are probably the two basic pillars of how we do reporting that actually allows us to take data it into information but also turn that information into strategy as well um and that's that's usually that that link that's missing a lot in like over reporting it's like there's so much data we always need more data we need more accurate data so i always say like if you don't need more data you need to learn how to take that data and turn it into firma- information and then you need to learn how to use that information and turn it into strategy so that's what all of our, our kind of reporting dashboards are, are built off
0: of and i like that adding context thing because i know for for someone like myself I tend to overthink things very easily. So if it is put in better context, this could be a great conversion rate or optimization rate or or, or what have you, but it's all relative to the size of the company and and the growth of it. So for for someone like myself, I need to know it's, it's getting better or it's getting worse. That's it, you know, or 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 else I can I can really complicate things very quickly. So I I think that's a smart way to approach it is having to put it in comparison totally over time. Or else you you also have small companies that are looking at mid-sized companies thinking, oh well, we should be here. And and you're saying you're on the way there, you know, you don't just really get there overnight. It's got to be a steady build. So my question exactly. baked in there is how important is managing a client's expectations during this whole process?
1: So important. I think managing expectations, um, and we always say managing expectations is not necessarily lowering expectations. It's more of, let's just be a realistic in terms exactly. of here's where we're at. Are we, and are we getting better? Like at the end of the day, and it's probably always look at like account this month rolling average because like you mentioned with benchmarking, it can get very funky very quickly where you can say like, hey, we are here, but like we want like, you know, our average order value is like $35. But like, when we look at all of our competitors that are like 10 times the size of us, their average order value is like $50. Like we need to get an average order value up to $50. It's like, yes, well, to do that, you need to do all the 500 other things in the business, like launching three different product lines that got that business there in the first place. And that's where they're missing that context of like, you don't get to, we, we can't just say we want to do $50 and just keep pushing there because that's when you get into all that, those types of like reactive tactics that eventually burn down the business. It's more about, okay, great. We totally, we, 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 we can agree on the goal. We we still want to get in that direction of a $50 average order value or whatever that high level business goal is. Are we trending in that direction? At what point is marketing not enough to get there? Um, Cause we're always the first one to say like, we do an amazing job managing email and email is going to be this beautiful channel for your e business. And also it's still only one channel for your ecom business. If you only have one single product and email is doing the best job, we still cannot increase repeat purchase rate if you do not have have other products to, to buy, right? So at some point, there is a cap. And same goes for Facebook ads, same goes for any type of marketing strategy. At some point, it comes back down to, is this actually feasible for your business overall? Um, And again, that's where we kind of come in as like a little bit more of a strategic thought partner on the operation side of like, what is realistic to achieve based off like where your business is at and like, to get to the next level, usually with econ businesses, like you need to start launching new product lines, you need to start tapping into retail, you know, you start tapping into wholesale, you need to expand your brand, like, who you're speaking to, like your market size just isn't big enough. And I find it's easy for e-com owners to sometimes get stuck on the marketing side because marketers are always saying like, hey, we can fix this. We can fix this. It can be better. You just need to spend more. Facebook ads. you just need. And you can't just
0: market more all the time.
1: Sometimes you just run out of people to market to, or you don't have enough products to market. And all marketing is, is like, I'm trying to get this product in someone else, someone's hands. But if there's no product and there's no someone, then the marketing isn't going to work. Again, that's where we kind of need to take a step back and look at it more from like, a CMO, COO position, which is, yes, these channels are working, but like, there's still a cap to how much, just how well, even, even this channel performing optimally may not be enough for the business to grow the way that the, the e-com owner needs to grow.
0: And then we'd have, you know, other decisions uh, made around that. And you're really scratching the surface of something that I find really interesting. And that's, how do you know when a strategy that you've come up with, a game plan is fundamentally flawed or not working versus if it's just not being executed properly. How do you kind of know when to when to cut your ties with a strategy, change how it's working, you know?
1: So I think the first basis of it is we kind of approach our strategy development, but also our A-B testing specifically, kind of like website zero testing. And I think it's a very important principle overall on how to build a business. If we use it in terms of how we build long play. We use it in how, how we build other companies. Like it, It's just more of how we think. And it's that like, hypo- question, hypothesis, and execution mindset. So we're saying like, hey, we want to... I'm just using this AOB example. Of, hey, we want to increase our average order value up to $50. Like The question becomes like, why is it not already at $50? Oh, because customers don't really like our product, because we don't have enough things for people to buy. Or maybe our customers... Are actually like relatively like lower income in terms of what we want them to spend, and they're just never going to be able to spend that mon- amount of money. There's lots of different hypotheses on like why someone, why your average order value isn't $50. And then for each of those questions and hypotheses, you can then develop different strategies. So for saying, hey, we think our customers just won't spend that $50, it's like, okay, well, what are the brands that those customers buy? Are those brands getting a $50 average order value? Like, how are these customers really spending money? Or maybe it well, customers just don't want to buy a second product. Well, it's like maybe they're just really not enjoying your, your product in the first place. Like your product isn't as great as you think it is. And those ways, when we start developing multiple questions, multiple hypotheses, and then developing a strategy to execute on that. That is so thoroughly thought out. It's like if you flesh out all of that, and we test each of those strategies, we get to a pretty clear conclusion where... We've executed on multiple strategies. There are multiple product lines that we've tested, things like that. And it's still it's still not working. I think there's something, it, there's an issue in the business model itself rather than just the marketing strategy. Because um, I'd say typically when it's this methodical, the cracks begin to show pretty quickly in the process um, because you start seeing like, hey, we can't really find an issue in how this was executed all the way through. Like this is on brand. There's really nothing crazy that we're doing here in terms of like the offer or anything like that. Um, we always kind of start off with the lowest risk way to like test out the strategy. For example, if we're like, hey, we want someone, we want to increase more more conversions. What if we do a discounting strategy? Let's start off with the simplest discount possible and see if people will even buy if, if discounting is the issue. Um, if it is, then we can increase the complexity of that strategy. But I find most marketers kind of get caught up in this tactics, and that's why they are something won't work and it's like does the, the tactic not work or does the strategy not work um but the strategy but the strategy should be deeper than tactics the strategy is the principle of like here's our hypothesis on like why we're not where we want to be that hypothesis is proven wrong then you know some you still gain information of like oh our business just doesn't operate this way like our customers don't want to interact with us in this way that is more meaningful than just Facebook
0: ads didn't work the way we wanted to. This Creative didn't work. And I feel like so, there's a I lot of hope, value
1: I hope that's a clear answer. It, it's it's it a is. very deep question. Yeah. It is.
0: I kind of put you on the spot there. And I, <laughs> I think a bit of what I'm hearing you say inside that answer is the ability to take ego and pride out of the equation and say, okay, look, maybe this this hypothesis was sound, but it failed. It's not like it is a, a, a personal thing it's like all right you just you just learned more from that failure and can move on to you know a different strategy or a different execution technique instead of kind of just hit, hitting home we we tested it it worked in in testing and so it's got to be able to be executed properly you know and i think there's exactly. a lot of value in be, being able to take that sort of pride out of the equation mm-hmm. moving on to the company you've been referring to a few times I I, I I knew we'd get to it eventually backbone can you tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah so backbone is the first email strategy automation tool for a D2C ecom brand. And it was kind of built out of all the systems, methodologies, and like principles that we developed while working with D2C ce ecom clients at Longplay. But with Longplay, we just relatively boutique agency. We're not, we don't have like thousands of clients because we really want to create that partnership experience. And also there's always going to be brands that can't work with. So Backbone allows e brands kind of access the types of methodologies and systems that we're already using for themselves and it's kind of like self-serve tool. So with Backbone, essentially a DCE comp company comes in. They can plug in their, you know, the business business size, the revenue that they're generating, the types of products they sell, the industry they're in, um, the number of products they sell, what their email goals are, um, the upload, you know, the product and collection catalog, and Backbone will fully develop a strategic email marketing calendar for them. And what that means is it's going to recommend ideas ideas for campaign topics based off the industry. So we might say five kettlebell workout for a company who's in the fitness industry. So I guess very specific in terms of the campaign topic recommendations. It'll fully plan out promotions and product launches. So maybe a 4th of July sale and it's running from July 1st to July 8th. It'll recommend the number of emails you should have for that promotion, when to send those emails and uh, the types of like campaign ideas for those promotional emails as well. Same thing for product launches. So fully plan on email marketing calendar for them. We always say you can do it in minutes, but really you can do it in seconds if you're like really moving quickly. So it really streamlines your email marketing workflow. And then it also generates a custom email layout for each of those emails. That's what I was kind of referring to in terms of email best practices is it spits out kind of like an email wireframe for each of those emails. It's already optimized for clicks and conversions. And it's also optimized for that specific email topic. So a content email is going to need a different layout than a promotional email. Um, we'll custom build that and then users can export that into Figma and do all the graphic design and copywriting in there. Um, we're just, we're in beta right now. Um, so that actually just recently launched and we're just super excited to. That's
0: very exciting. Yeah.
1: So just get D to C ecom owners more invested in email because there's so much opportunity there, but it's also sometimes very inaccessible, especially early on, um when you're in that awkward stage where you can't really hire an in-house email marketing manager and agencies that are a little bit more expensive
0: as well, all Backbone is just perfect for that. So it's perfect to get you in into that kind of stepping stone area. Exactly. I'm extremely interested in, in how Backbone re- specifically recommends these, these strategies and email flows and, and layouts that are essentially supposed to be successful. How, how does that work out? Is it algorithm-based, AI-based? What's what's the deal there?
1: Yeah, it's algorithm-based right now. Um, so, and we obviously have a really cool product roadmap in terms of layering some pretty intense machine learning and um, AI capabilities as well. Um, so right now, it's pr- some pretty complex algorithms around aligning the industry they're in, the types of products they sell, the type of campaign it is. So again, whether it's a content email, promotional email, product launch email, um, and then also kind of like an adjustable... Um email brief is what we call it, where they can say, you know, how long do I want this email to be? How much copy do I want? How much um how many images do I want? And are there specific like things that I want to push a little bit more? Like I want a banner to like push my SMS opt-ins, things like that. So it's a combination of best practices on email layout where we have that all we have a whole library of like literally thousands of modules and sections of an email. And it's kind of like building Lego um, and the algorithm puts the Lego pieces together. Um, but there's so many options that I think, I don't even know the numbers, but I think it's there's like 10,000, 15,000 different possible email layouts that can be generated. Um, and the algorithm's job is obviously make sure we're generating one that is optimized and makes sense for that particular industry type of product campaign type.
0: No, that's fascinating. And I love Lego, so I'm convinced. Is this project backbone seamlessly interwoven with your strategies at long play or is, is it something that is more designed to empower the entrepreneur independently separate from from long play
1: yeah i'd say it kind of it empowers the entrepreneur and like kind of the small team at first and again like we're in our we're in our beta stage and like there's only so much more to come um, i'm just so excited about this product roadmap. so i think as backbone gets gets more and more complex we definitely can see hundred million dollar brands using um, using the product to empower their in-house teams as well, and at the same time, long play is going to get more sophisticated, right? Like our these algorithms have um, have been tested and, and developed, but our team has been tested and developed over years. So our team and they're and they're human. So our long play team is a level of sophistication higher than the tool, and we'll continue we'll continue kind of that cadence. The tool will get what's more sophisticated, but our team will also get more sophisticated as well. And I think there'll always be a room for. Kind of retention life cycle consulting and and support that software is just not the technology is not there to to really automate yet so we, we kind of see backbone and long play kind of as like that one-two punch um you might outgrow backbone and come over to long play and need that human support but also you might work with us at long play for a few years and like things are good to go and you now have scaled out and have an in-house team and then you, you need backbone to kind of empower it up. And so it's really just a kind of fluid uh one-two punch
0: no that's great and that kind of leads me to my next question it sounds like it's not now and I don't want to fear monger or cause panic or anything like that. But is software like Backbone going to maybe eventually become the new normal in, in the future of, you know, retention, growth, acceleration strategies, as opposed to, you know, your standard growth agencies? I mean, what's the, the long play for, for a company like Backbone?
1: So with Backbone, I mean, we, again, there's so much, we're, we're just in the tip of the iceberg. Like to me. Um I see us as like we are the tool is already freaking amazing and people love it, but it's only like five, ten percent of its capabilities. Oh wow, cool. So okay. there's so much more more opportunity. And what's gonna happen with with Backbone is and like how it's going to disrupt the email agency and retention agency is the same same space as the how Facebook algorithms kind of disrupt the Facebook ad industry, right? So with Facebook algorithms, like we kind of we don't really think too much about it where we're like yeah, it's essentially Facebook algorithms are like are so advanced now. With they're doing all of the bidding, they're doing all the targeting for us. Like agencies are ad, ad buyers are not sitting there selecting their audiences and like trying to hone in on on that that part anymore. And they're it, it's more about the creative. And same thing with email agencies where. The algorithms are streamlining the strategic thinking part of it. And like, yes, there's going to be some people where that's all of the skill sets that they have, and they might, and they might need to find a different area of marketing, focus on, but also the best ones are the ones who are going to continue evolving. And then they'll just have the space to not repeat, be repeatedly doing the same things over and over again. You're not needing armies of people and like a VP of marketing sitting there drowning in data to try to figure out how to adjust the strategy they're actually thinking at a higher level. It's more about clearing up bandwidth for the best people to operate at a higher level. Just like there's still incredible ad buyers out there. No matter how much Facebook algorithms and and all of that continue to innovate, they just get better. The best ad buyers now just focus on creative and like how to uniquely catch the attention of, of their audience and figure out what's going to resonate. They're not sitting there like bidding on how, on every single ad and things like that. Um, so I think it's 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 going to be the same thing with with email, whether it's like marketing teams or uh, email agencies as well.
0: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I heard something. I think it was last week. Um, I can't remember what I was watching, but they essentially said it's not like algorithms or AI will will replace people, but it's more like the people who are willing to work with the algorithms and the AI will replace people who aren't willing to work with that sort of stuff i
1: love that that's a great way of phrasing it and i think it also brings up when i think ibm had deep blue and like the the chest the chess like machine learning um like robot this was like back in like the 1990s and they had like obviously the robot play against the human and the robot won, but the human and robot combination beat everything and that's, that's what we're aiming for where it's like backbone is meant to be the, literally the backbone of your business or your, your agency. It is an enhancement tool, not a replacement tool, um, but it's really up to the human, whether it's a replacement tool
0: or not, you know? Exactly. And, and, and look, I also have to say, do you come up with these names for the, for these companies? Because both of those are like really, really Thank good. You. I'll tell you that much. I, I, I love Long play backbone, it tells you everything that you need to very easily and efficiently. I
1: appreciate. It's funny. I only get like these are like my only two good business name ideas. Like anytime anybody else tells me to come up with a name it's terrible. and i I think I literally tweeted recently where I was like, I only have two modes, which is I come up with a name on the eleventh hour, and that was the same with backbone long play kind of came at the eleventh hour. Or I also have a running list of names that are like words that are so good. Where I'm like, I'm just going to start a business one day just so I can use this word because it's such a good word. Yeah. But I'm like, I, if you tell me that like whole business name, it's so difficult. But yeah, I like backbone. I like long play. I'm a huge fan of like the, the two syllable words as well.
0: And I feel like it's, it's a messy idea to start with a, a name and then create a brand around it or something. I feel like movies do that all the time where they come up with a name of a movie and then try to make the movie around that really cool sounding name. And it doesn't exactly work. Yeah. You can kind of
1: tell like they're really stretching the theme. Exactly.
0: Before we wrap up, I always ask this final question of our guests and that's essentially regarding the importance of work-life harmony. One of my guests earlier, um, very, very recently, Eric, said he liked the word harmony more than balance. And, and, and I appreciate that. So I'm going to steal that from him. In the e-commerce industry, generally entrepreneurs are operating 24-7, 365. What are your hobbies and interests that you practice to have a more stable work-life harmony instead of just e-commerce or industry-based?
1: I'm going to do a roundabout answer to this. So I think one of the methods, so people always think I work a lot longer, more than I do. Um, who we are like you're probably working like 100 120 hours week I'm like I'm not even anywhere close to that it's not because I'm not working like putting in you know the work around it but it's more so especially as entrepreneurs I think we're like fundamentally a little bit more creative and strategic creative like, and strategic it should be where we're spending most of our time and being in a desk for 80 100 hours a week is not conducive to that creativity and strategic thinking so I tend to kind of bucket my work into like production which is like I'm that. That's my typical forty-hour work week. You know, I'm typically only only at a desk for like forty hours a week because I find after that it's just a hard drop off in terms of any sort of productive capabilities. I'm kind of like my production time. That's when I'm really like doing things. But I also have like my ponder list. So I have like a list of just like super high level things of just like what's the general direction of like the technology that we kind of want to explore for for Backbone or like how might our culture for Backbone as a company as a software company be very be different than like a, than like a, our, our culture for Longplay. Those are very like vague esoteric kind of questions that are super important to the growth of the business. And I think it's, it's the core job of a CEO, but it's not something you can just sit down. Like you're not going to get good answers. just sitting down at a laptop going like, I want to map out the culture of these two companies. now, Right. So those are the exactly. things where it's like in my subconscious, planted kind of in the back of my head, then I can go out and do like do my normal life things with friends. That's like, it's there. And then like conversations might start triggering it. And, and then sometimes I just have kind of like my, my bullet list of like things I can do on my phone, you know? And like, I'll just be going for a walk and like, think on a specific question of like what's the strategy for like this particular marketing tactic that we want to do and that's something I can like go on a walk for and like write notes on my phone and send it off to my team and I think that way of looking at work is really important to creating that harmony because at the end of the day like you can have you can strive for all the work-life balance but if you're at your desk for 120 hours a week doesn't matter what hobbies you have outside and things like that it's and like what wellness tactics you have it's just you don't have enough time to do all of that and i think it's more about how do you create that space every hour where there's a little bit of life there's a little bit of work stuff and also limiting that desk time like i think that desk time is just not you need it because we should always be producing but as a ceo and like a founder entrepreneur your best work is going to come from like being out in the world and like seeing things not necessarily being a little bubble so that wasn't a direct answer to your question, but that's probably one of the most important ways I kind of like
0: manage work-life balance. I don't know if I've necessarily heard, heard heard that answer before, and it reminds me of Jack Donaghy from from the show Thirty Rock. I don't know if you're familiar with it. He 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 calls it the shower principle, where where essentially you know he's he's putting in his office or something, and he's like I'm working it's called the shower principle. It's like your, your, your solution to something that you're working on comes in those moments when you're not actively working on it, where you're actually, it's in, it's in that subconscious back part of your head while you're doing something else. And then like, when you're taking a shower, you kind of have that like aha moment For instead sure. of sitting down actively trying to solve a problem. So that's kind of what I'm hearing. No, you say 100%. a hundred percent. You, you often practice the shower principle in terms of looking for those aha moments yeah
1: because every entrepreneur is always like oh my best idea is come at the gym or like the the walking or whatever and it's like okay cool then you need, need more of that like you don't need one walk a day you need to like have that like open freedom like regularly as like a good yeah. chunk of your day so how do you how do you create a day where you have that mo- most of that in a good chunk of your day and then you have a specific period that's the production time it's kind of like flipping it and then i also differentiate between like input and output periods of my life like i have periods where i'm like not really outputting much and it's like not very effective even if I try to force myself and like I'm like oh I'm in an input period which is like just injecting all types of information like reading random I'm like reading books reading articles listening to podcasts speak talking to people that's really just like let's get some like stuff in here to play <laughs> in my brain to like play around with and just like see what comes out and like throw everything in the pot and there's output periods where I'm like, holy crap, I cannot stop producing. Like, too many ideas. I just got to get it out of me. So I think with work-life, I love, I love the term work-life harmony because it's really about the flowy. Some periods are going to be more input, and you're not really going to be creating much. And then vice versa, there's going to be some periods where you're just creating, and you're not really learning anything new. But that's important, too. And there's going to be some periods where you just need to ponder on these subconscious areas, and you're maybe you're not even at your desk for, like, the whole day. And you're just kind of, like, going about your life. And then some days where I'm like, I, I also have weeks where I'm working 80, 100, Hours because that's just the production period. So I think that that part's important. It's like, remember that life is, isn't this like daily routine thing that is consistent every single day for the rest of your life. Um, that's not really what like harmony really is.
0: I could go Absolutely. on about this.
1: I used to work for a productivity tools company. So I have so many thoughts on, on all of this. So you've
0: got some thoughts. <laughs> yeah. They're extremely insightful. I really appreciate your time joining us on the show, Jess. And good luck to Longplay and Backbone. I think with names like that, they are definitely determined to be successful. <laughs> so Thank thanks you. again, Jess. Thanks
1: for having me.
0: I'd like to thank my guest, Jess Chan, for joining me on the show and come back on Tuesday when I talk with Ajay Bam, the co-founder and CEO of Viral, a video marketing and intelligence platform that enables brands to search for valuable user-generated video content for their marketing purposes. For more information about Jess, you can connect with her on LinkedIn or follow her on Twitter at chan. To learn more about Longplay, you can check out their website, longplaybrands.com. And to learn more about Backbone, check out their website, gobackbone.co. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until then.